As most of you know, um, our congregation is, uh, has entered a study together on this wonderful book, The Purpose Driven Life, that Shelley referred to by Rick Warren. And uh, I wanted to give you just a sample of some of the great stuff that you'll find in this week's chapter, which I'm going to be reflecting on a little bit uh, today in the sermon. Um, just listen to this quote, or read along with me. You are a work in progress. Your spiritual transformation in developing the character of Jesus will take the rest of your life. God's far more interested in what you are than in what you do. We are human beings, after all, not human doings. God's much more concerned about your character than even your career, because you'll take your character into eternity. Well, our topic from the Purpose Driven Life uh, this week is discipleship, and the theme is you were created to become like Christ. Discipleship, that's a word that Christians use a lot. We call ourselves disciples sometimes. Um, but the question is, what does it mean to be a disciple? We need to make sure we know what that means. It has a pretty straightforward definition. The, the literal definition of disciple is a student, okay? A learner. That, that's its literal definition. But we need to be careful because I don't know where your mind jumps when you hear the word student or, or learner, but mine jumps to a classroom. Does yours jump to a classroom? I mean, I've been a teacher my whole life, and so when I, when I hear the word student or learner, I can just picture a classroom. Well, don't think classroom, because that'll lead us down the wrong path. Think life, okay? Think daily life. Think, think everyday life. Think day by day following, uh, because in Jesus' day, a learner didn't just didn't go to a classroom. A learner attached to a rabbi, that's a Bible word for teacher, and followed that rabbi, followed that teacher around, observing their life and listening to their instruction. And so it's, it's a following kind of relationship, not a teacher-student in a classroom kind of relationship. And in fact, don't, don't think pattern, don't think course plan, don't think program, don't even think path, think person. A disciple is a person follower. What, what did you follow to get to ECC the first time you came? Do you remember? Huh? GPS. GPS. There you go. There you go. Did anybody follow anything other than GPS? Did anybody follow like instructions, verbal or printed instructions? That, your what? Ah, there we go. You just followed his heart. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, you, you could have followed. Uh, does anybody ever use a paper map anymore? Anybody, let me see. Anybody who ever? A paper map. Okay, I love it. I still like to look at paper maps. I just don't, don't use them very often. Well, um, you may have followed a road. Somebody said, take, take 100 or something like that. So you may have taken, been on 202 or 
113 or the turnpike, I don't know. You know, we, we follow roads and they get us close to places, don't we, when we, when we follow routes. How about road signs? Uh, road signs can be helpful in finding your way. Oh, speaking of road signs, I am so grateful for the people who sacrificially get up early in the morning and put the experience signs out. Aren't they great? They're good, yeah. Um, and especially uh, one, of your, one of your fellow uh, experienced people here has to run halfway across Route 100 and take his life into his head. I was sitting there making a left turn uh, and watched him running across and almost get flattened uh, by the traffic on Route 100. Yes, yeah, so I'm very grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for road signs. Uh, maybe you did follow someone's oral instructions, but okay. Now, what about GPS? What about GPS? Uh, I want to see who are the Apple Map people here. Let me see. Apple, Elena's Apple Map. Okay. Any other? Yep, several Apple Map. Let me see the Google Map people. Google Map. Oh, okay. Google Maps is in the lead. And now, are you ready? Drum roll, please. The Wazers. Let me see the Wazers. You know what? Google Maps won. I think by by a little bit. I. Come on. Where am I? Where's my Wazer love here, okay? Oh, there, it is. there it is, okay, okay, now I can see it. Okay, well, uh, whatever gets you here, that's fine. Uh, which of those do you trust the most? No, I don't mean, of, uh, I mean uh, road signs or route numbers or verbal instructions or written instructions. GPS. GPS, you do. I'll have to tell you, and this is the only time this has ever happened, I'll have to tell you that the first time Pat and I came here to worship, we typed in the address of Exton Elementary School and faithfully followed ways. Our, our son teaches us, trust the ways, okay? That's one of his slogans. So we do. We trust the ways. We ended up way the heck over there in some housing development. Have you done this? Yeah, okay. And you can't get through from there. Okay, I eventually, we eventually saw Exton Elementary School, but we couldn't get there, I mean, on the street. So uh, that's the only time I think GPS has really let us down, and it was coming here. I'll tell you what, give me a person, a person who knows where they're going, and I'll follow them every time. Trust the ways, okay. But give me a person who knows where they're going, and I'll follow them every time. Uh, Pat and I hike a lot. We uh, have lived uh, much of our lives in East Tennessee, and um, it's got beautiful mountains and waterfalls, and uh, there are some of our beautiful mountains uh, in wintertime. It's about, it looks like that there. No leaves on the trees there either. Yeah, but we do a lot of hiking there, and we have for a long time, and with our, our two sons that we raised there. When I say the word hiking, that may sound like torture to some of you, okay? And that's, that's fine. Or at least it sounds like work, huh? Hard work. Torture, work, whatever. To us, it, it, is, it is hard work. There's, there's nothing easy about it. But for us, as we were raising our sons, it became the, the main method by which our family bonded together. No matter how busy we were, all during the week, going our separate ways, school, work, all that kind of stuff, uh, friends and all, 
uh, on Saturdays, we would try always to hike together a new section of the Appalachian Trail or maybe to an old waterfall that we loved. And uh, that, that was a way that our family really bonded together in a way that saw us through some of the rough years of raising teenagers and has really carried on into our adult relationship with our kids. So it, it's something that worked for us. Um, you may find other ways to, to keep your family uh, bonded together, but that's the one that worked for us. Let me tell you about one hike we went on. Um, uh, as I'm thinking about following and following a person, that's why I'm telling the story. Uh, once Pat and I were hiking on the Appalachian Trail with our two sons, they were young teenagers at the time. Now, uh, you need to know something about me. I'm a plan aheader, okay? I, I like to have everything planned out in as much detail as possible. So I'd checked out our starting point for the hike and our end point for the hike. I'd mapped our route. I had read the guidebook. The Appalachian Trail has a guidebook that tells you every turn, every landmark, every uphill, every downhill. I'd studied it carefully. The, the part of the trail we were on was very obvious. It was well-worn and it was well-marked with white painted blazes on the trees practically every step of the way. So off we went with trail, map, guidebook. We were set. Everything was going to work out perfectly. There were only two problems. One was we hadn't been able to park the car at the end point of the hike. There was no place there to, to park. So we'd had to park it a long way away halfway down the trail, but, but still far away from our end point. The other problem was it was winter time, and I hadn't thought ahead about when the sun went down. So about an hour into our hike, I realized that even though it was beautiful and we were on this high mountain ridge and the sun was shining, it was going to disappear uh, very quickly, and there was no way we were going to get back well, there's no way we're going to get to the end of our hike, let alone back to our car before dark. Uh, that's when I realized that following that map wasn't going to help. That, that following the guidebook wasn't going to help. That following the trail wasn't going to help. That following those white painted blazes on the tree wasn't going to help. I wasn't going to be able to see any of those things. I couldn't follow them and that's when our younger son, Ethan, said, I think I can get us back to the car if you follow me down from the ridge right here. Well, I looked down the ridge. The slope was steep, unwalkably steep. It was covered with slippery winter leaves and the path was clogged with thickets of rhododendron and, and briars and there was no trail anywhere in sight. There was only Ethan and his follow me. And so guess what? We did. We did. We stumble slid our way down that steep slope. We we skied through those loose leaves. We tore our clothing, literally, on some of the, uh, the thorn 
brambles uh, that, we, that we were torn through until we reached the valley floor, crossed a creek. I didn't, we didn't care that our shoes got wet at that point. We were just so glad to be down into the valley and looked up and right in front of us was the grinning grill of our little Toyota Tercel. He did it. Give me a person who knows where they're going and I'll follow them every time. That's what it means to be a disciple, a person follower. What about Christian discipleship? Is it the same? Yes, it is the same. It is exactly the same thing. There's no difference except for the fact that Christians don't pick and choose the person that they follow. We all seek to follow one person. And you know that person is Jesus. Discipleship, Christian discipleship, is not a religion to join. It's not laws to obey. It's not a set of rules to regulate our lives. Christian discipleship is following a person. It's following the person of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed or not, but Jesus never said, I will give you a roadmap. That's not one of the promises that Jesus made. Jesus never said, I will tell you the way. And best I can tell as I study the New Testament and read the Gospels, Jesus never even said, I will show you the way. What did Jesus say? I am the way. That's what Jesus said. I am the way. Christian discipleship is following Jesus. And that is exactly how Jesus called all the people who, who accumulated around his life. For instance, some of you know about the fishermen, Peter and Andrew, those brothers. They became Jesus' disciples. Here's how it happened. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, not a path, not a program, not a plan, but him. The same with their business partners, James and John. Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. He called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's how Jesus called another of his disciples, Philip. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Am I repeating myself? Yes. Why? Because Christian discipleship is the same for all of those people. And it is the same for all of us as well. I'm going to keep going. Later, Jesus ran into a despised tax collector. Here's what happened. As Jesus was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth where he worked. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. One man said he wanted to be a disciple of Jesus, but he didn't want to do it right then. He wanted to do it after his father had died and his family responsibilities were over. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. To one wealthy young man, Jesus said these words, if you really want to be spiritually mature, 
Go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. I think that's enough examples, huh? (laughs) But the point is obvious, isn't it? Every time Jesus called someone to be his disciple, he called them to follow. And every time Jesus called someone to follow, he called them to follow him. And nothing has changed. Jesus still wants you to be his disciple, still wants me to be his disciple, his follower. Jesus calls us to follow him. So there's discipleship for you. Christian discipleship means following Jesus. Now you have every right to say, okay, fine, I got it a long time ago. I didn't need all those examples. It means following Jesus. But what does following Jesus involve? That's a legitimate question, isn't it? So let's, uh, let's tackle that for a minute. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does following Jesus involve? I think uh, the, the great missionary Paul may have said it best. He wrote these words in a letter that he sent to a small congregation in a big city uh, called Corinth. It's in southern Greece. It was in southern Greece. And he wrote them uh, several letters. And in what we call 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus, uh, Paul writes these simple words about Jesus. Imitate me, Paul says, just as I imitate Christ. I think that may be the best definition of what it means to follow Jesus right there. It means to imitate Jesus. Well, you may be thinking, what does that even mean to imitate Jesus? How would one even set about doing that? I mean, if we're going to claim this, following Jesus and imitating Jesus, we need to take it seriously and we need to be realistic about it. Just what does it involve? Well, obviously, it doesn't involve the superficial things, right? It doesn't mean we all need to quit our jobs and become carpenters. It doesn't mean that we all need to um, sell our homes and uh, move to Israel. It doesn't mean that we should be wearing sandals or growing beards or something like that. Um, Although I did go through a phase like that in the late 60s and early 70s, okay? Does it mean we should be worshiping at synagogues on Friday nights rather than in churches on Sunday mornings? No. Does it mean that we should resolve not to get married or decide never to have children? I don't think Paul has any of those what I'll call somewhat superficial things in mind when he talks about imitating Christ. So we we know what we don't think it involves. What do we think it involves? What, 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 What are some things that would be involved in Christian discipleship, imitating Christ. Let me mention three things that I think uh, that uh, the the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, make clear are involved in imitating Jesus, that is, following Jesus. The first thing is what the New Testament calls following His footsteps. And what that phrase means, following His footsteps, is this. Living just like Jesus, being like Jesus as much as we can, behaving like Jesus 
in as many areas of our lives as we can. Sometimes it's the word walking, walking like Jesus. In other words, living according to His will, not our will. That's one of the things that's involved, following His footsteps. I like the way the Apostle John puts it when he wrote, the person who says they're living like Jesus, that's, that's what we're thinking about today, that person ought to be walking just like Jesus walked. That person ought to be walking just like Jesus walked. What do you think about that? Do you think we really can follow the footsteps of Jesus? I'm convinced we can. Now, don't, don't just write that notion off and, and say, oh, there's no way we can be like Jesus. No, I, I take that challenge very seriously. I think we can live like Jesus. I know we won't be healing people who have leprosy instantaneously. I get that. We, we won't be doing that kind of thing. But, but can't we sit with those who suffer? Can't we sympathize with those who suffer? Can't we comfort the outcast? Can't we place God's value on those that the world rejects and despises? That's really what Jesus is doing when he heals lepers. He's, he's sympathizing with those who suffer. He's comforting the outcast. He's placing human value on those that the world has rejected and despised. And we can do that like Jesus. We can follow in his footsteps. Uh, another thing that's involved in imitating Christ, uh, a second thing that's involved in following Jesus, I think, um, living just like Jesus lived, is facing what he faced. And Jesus faced temptations, Jesus faced trials. Jesus survived suffering. Jesus faced a lot of stuff. And I think we can too. What do you think? Now, you may say, well, we're not facing the same temptations that Jesus faced. We're not facing the same trials. I get that. You're right. But the, the key there isn't whether or not we're going to face temptations or trials or what kind. There's no doubt we're going to face temptations. We're going to face trials just like Jesus did. They're going to be different, many of them, some the same. The key is, if we're following Jesus, will we face our temptations and trials the way he faced them, just like he faced them? And I think the answer to that is yes, we can and we must. Listen to what Peter wrote in the letter we call 1 Peter. For you were called to this, and he's talking about a life that, that faces up to suffering. You were called to this, a life that, that faces up to suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to copy so that you would follow in his footsteps. That is, follow his footsteps in the midst of, of, of suffering, temptation, and trial. I really think that even though uh, our temptations and trials might be a little different than Jesus, we can face them in the way Jesus did. I know we won't be carrying his cross, but we don't need to, do we? He already did. 
We don't need to carry His cross. But Jesus has called us to carry our own crosses. That is, to survive suffering in His name, to face rejection in His name, to, to deal with persecution in His name. Are you clear on the fact that Jesus didn't want to suffer? Jesus didn't invite suffering. Jesus didn't want... In fact, in the garden, shortly before his death, Jesus begged his father, begged God to rescue him from the suffering uh, that he feared lay ahead. And, and we don't invite suffering into our lives either. There, there's no inherent virtue to suffering in our lives. But the fact is, we do face it. We will face it. Will we face it like Jesus? That's the way a Christian disciple operates. The, the way I think of it is this. Whenever we're mocked for our Jesus-focused faith, or whenever we're ridiculed for our Jesus-following lifestyle, we have the same option Jesus had when he prayed in the garden in agony facing the death that he knew he faced. He said, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, we have the option of facing what Jesus faced in the way he faced it, yielding ourselves to God's will in our lives, not our own will. Well, let me just mention uh, one more, a third way in which I think Christian disciples can follow Jesus, imitate Jesus, live like Jesus lived. And the third way is feeling what he felt. What I'm talking about here is love and compassion, living in love. The Apostle Paul wrote this beautiful uh, statement in his letter to a, another small congregation in a big city, Ephesus, we call the letter Ephesians. So, Paul says, be imitators of God as his beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Walk in love, live in love, love like Jesus loved. Can we really do that? Can we love like Jesus? Can we really weep with those who weep and, and rejoice with those who rejoice? That's what Jesus challenged us to do. I think we can. In fact, I know we can. And here's the reason I'm convinced of this. I don't think Jesus would have commanded us to do something that we couldn't do in his name. I, I am absolutely convinced of that. And Jesus commanded us to love one another over and over and over again. In following Jesus, we can show love and compassion like he did. I know we're not going to feed 5,000 people with some kid's lunchbox. I get that. But we can, we absolutely can be involved in one of the multitude of ministries to, uh, to the hungry that exist uh, churchwide in the world today. I know that we're not going to make coins appear in the mouths of fish. There's actually a story in the New Testament of Jesus doing that, okay? I don't expect that to be part of my following of Jesus. But we can get involved in making money appear 
in the hands of uh, the hungry. We can be involved in making money appear in the hands of those who can't house their children or clothe their children properly or buy adequate health care for their kids um, or get out of debt or pay their bill at a restaurant. And that's something we can do, showing love and compassion. We can, in fact, show love and mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness just like Jesus. We can feel what he felt. I try as hard as I can to let this percolate down into my real life, my daily life, as often in as many ways as I can. Um, I try to let it affect the way I drive my car, in the way I treat servers at a restaurant, in the use of my financial resources or my generosity or my attempts at hospitality. I don't always succeed, I, I admit it. Um, I don't always succeed in being or thinking or acting just like Jesus, but I really do try, <laughs> and sometimes I actually do. Decades ago, when I was in graduate school at a great university and having the time of my life with Pat in a, in a wonderful city, I, I just felt the words of Jesus. I came not to be served, but to serve, weighing in on my heart in, a, in an unmistakable way. So I dropped out of that graduate program and Pat and I headed to the physically depressing and economically depressed coal fields of southern Appalachia. And there we went to work for the next three long years at an orphanage children's home uh, in the coal fields there uh, for about 300 orphaned and abandoned children. It was definitely not on my career path. <laughs> that was not part of the plan. But I have never felt more clearly that I was following Jesus in doing that. Now a question may be coming into your mind. Aren't there barriers to this whole challenge to imitate Jesus, to live like Jesus, to follow Jesus? And the answer is what? <laughs> oh yeah, you bet. There are big time barriers. And here's one of the things I want to point out to you. Not all of the barriers are bad things. In fact, many of the, the most powerful barriers to this are actually good things like family responsibility, financial responsibility, huh? Um, uh, job responsibilities. Those are, those are good things, but they're going to feel like barriers when you actually come up to the practical challenge of living like Jesus lived. There are also some nasty things like fear. There's the fear of sacrifice and the, the fear of suffering and the fear of failure. But, but having been honest about the fact that there are significant barriers to this life of imitating Jesus, I have got to say this, as real as the barriers are, and they really are, the blessings of living life just like Jesus 
are just too wonderful to miss. Can I say that again? In spite of the barriers, as real and as significant as they are, the blessings of living a life in imitation of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, are just too wonderful to miss. So, here at ECC, we believe, we just, you know, we've got to be honest about this. We believe that following Jesus is the path to the most meaningful life any person could possibly live. And that includes you, and that includes me. Just full disclosure, we believe that here, that living life just like Jesus is the path to the most meaningful life anyone, anyone could ever live. Well, the call to discipleship is the call to follow Jesus, living like Jesus, suffering like Jesus, loving like Jesus. And you may rightly have been thinking, you know, that sounds really good, but it would have been so much easier to do that when I was a kid. Or it would have been so much easier when life wasn't so complicated and I didn't have so many responsibilities. Or it would have been so much easier when I first re-encountered Jesus. But so much time has passed and so much water has gone under the bridge. Years have passed. Decades have gone by when we haven't thought much about Jesus or cared much about Jesus, let alone followed Jesus. We've been living for ourselves for a long time now, like we wanted to live, not like he wanted us to live. We've suffered all right, but not for following Jesus. I usually suffer for my own self-centeredness or my own stupidity. And, and we've loved, of course we've been loving all these years, but we've loved what we wanted to love. We've loved who we wanted to love and for what we could get out of our love. So you may be thinking, it's probably just too late for me to, to get into this game of imitating Jesus in every area of our lives. It's just too late to think about following Jesus now after all we've done or after all we haven't done or all we, we should have done. Are you thinking that? Are you, are you letting yourself think that way? It's inevitable that that thought comes to our mind. But here's what I want to ask. Think about this. After Jesus rose from the dead, after the resurrection, he met up with his disciples back up in Galilee, up north in Israel. Exactly where they had come from, exactly where he had called them in the first place, exactly where he, they had first heard the words, follow me, up in Galilee. They had gone back there to go fishing, which was exactly what they had been doing, huh? Back to the old lifestyle, fishing, before he called them. And he found them there. And, and here they are, back fishing again. And to make matters worse, when Peter got to the shore and found Jesus there, Jesus did something that may seem kind of, kind of mean to you. He said to Peter, oh, by the way, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, well, yeah, of course I love you. And then Jesus said, hey, Peter, 
do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I just told you. I do. I love you. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, do you love me? How many times did he ask that question? Three. Why? Peter, just a week earlier, had denied even knowing Jesus, let alone being his follower, three times. And then Jesus said, Now, follow me. Isn't that beautiful? There they were, those old familiar words, those those wonderful words still on the lips of the Lord, follow me. Even after Peter's Peter's repeated denials, even after Thomas's deep doubt, even after most of those disciples had abandoned Jesus at the time of his arrest, even after those disciples, most of them, had hid out during the time that Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus was still saying to them, follow me. One of the most helpful features of GPS is recalculating. Sometimes it bugs me. Sometimes it irritates me. Usually I love it. Sometimes it recalculates because of changes in traffic patterns. Traffic jams, wrecks, weather, construction. But sometimes it recalculates when I make a wrong turn. Peter made a wrong turn. He went back to Galilee. He went back to fishing. It's like he gave up following. Peter made a wrong turn, but Jesus recalculated for him. Got him right back on the right route with the words, follow me. And Jesus is eager to do the same for you. It's never too late to follow Jesus. It's never too late to become his disciple. To begin following Jesus for the very first time. Is that you? Ready to begin following Jesus for the very first time? It's never too late. It's never too late to renew your commitment to follow Jesus, to start following again, even though you haven't been following Jesus for the longest time. Is that you? Do you need to renew your commitment to follow Jesus? It's never too late. It's never too late to begin following Jesus on His terms rather than your own. Is that you? You've been following Jesus, but on your own terms for quite a long time now. It's never too late to follow Jesus. Don't look for a pattern or a plan or a program. Look for a person. Give me a person who knows where they're going, and I'll follow them every time. If you have a card in your program bulletin that invites you um, on the side that says, Today I Experience, to reflect a little bit on our whole worship service, uh, our songs of praise, Shelley's beautiful um, reflection, and, and what we've been talking about in the sermon. 
We're going to sit for just a few minutes after I pray and think about some takeaways that you have um, from our experience this morning. If you want to jot them down, this is not a card to turn in. You can jot them down, stick it in a pocket or a purse, and, and take it with you to remind you through the week of some of the insights that we've gained as we've worshiped together and searched God's Word together. We'll take a couple minutes to do that uh, after we pray. So let's pray together. So God, we pray that you give us eyes to watch how Jesus walks, to see him more clearly. And we pray that you also give us feet, feet to follow, to follow him more nearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.